0: Welcome to the program. It's kind of overcast. It's one of those days I've seen people out there today who are just, you know, middle fingering it to the weather. I don't care. I'm wearing short sleeves. I don't care. It's supposed to be warm and I'm done with wearing my coat. I saw a guy, actually one of the employees here, uh, Patrick, uh, who was walking out of the building and he put on his coat and I swear to you, he looked like he was on his way to the ski slopes. This is I mean, it's ridiculous. We have a big program for you today, folks. We have all kinds of guests. The Premier is My here. Friends.
1: It's just great to be
0: here. Thank you, Premier. It's good to have you here as well. Kawhi Leonard is here. I'm a fun guy. Thank you very much. I appreciate you being here as well. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, obviously, the situation in Paris. Where in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to an expert from the AGO about what has been saved and what must be done now to some of that priceless art and some of those artifacts that were inside Notre Dame uh, when that fire went off. And I just will say this. Uh, as a news anchor, yesterday I got a mea culpa here. I got a, I t- I called it Notre Dame. Like, I, I swear, I called the thing Notre Dame on the air last night on the news. And I just feel like an idiot. I feel like an idiot. I feel like an American who doesn't know the difference between Notre Dame the cathedral, and Notre Dame, the school. So, my apologies. I apologize for that, uh, Premier. Um, How do you feel about that?
1: Promises made, promises kept.
0: Thank you, Premier. Now, of course, the Premier was talking this morning in Etobicoke, and some of those sounds you just heard were actually from the Premier's uh, speech, and then he answered a bunch of questions. Today. And we talked yesterday about, on the program about the fact that we have this court challenge underway, this carbon tax court challenge. Can we? Go? I don't know if we can bring up the audio of that. That is currently underway again, still in Superior Court. And unusually, we actually have a live feed of the audio and the video coming from inside the court. And we're going to try and get that to you as soon as we can. Just play that in the background whenever you have it. Uh, and, it and as that goes on, there are many people wondering about whether or not this is a good use of of our money. This is our taxpayer money, folks. And the Premier was asked today by Jamie Marocker, who is a global news reporter, started off by asking about some of the changes that the government is making to your ability to sue the government, whether or not people can actually sue the government. And that's part of the changes that the Ford government are making. So this is a two-part answer here, and I want you to try and follow along here. Jamie Marocker, now this is what the premier had to say about the changes in your ability to sue the government.
1: Even look sideways in some special interest groups out there trying to sue you. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it. It's tying up the courts.
0: That is uh, Doug Ford speaking this morning. So then it's tying up the courts. It's frivolous. So then the next question I think do we have the audio from the court? We can we just dip into that right now. This is currently this is live in the uh, superior court that it works. That's some that, gripping stuff. And the last point of that paragraph Let's just jazz this Failure up. Failure by bit. one province to legislate Order in the, for the absence of a uniform Order set of the rules. Applicable there we go. That, that makes it a little better. But I vulnerable. want to go back now to the Premier here because the question is, well, wait a second here. We are spending our money, the taxpayers' dime, in this court challenge, and a court challenge that pretty much every constitutional expert says does not have a hope. We don't know exactly how much it will cost in the end. But here is the premier saying, or, or defending, what some have said is, on his part, a frivolous court case wasting our money.
1: You've got to be kidding. You're talking about uh, the, the largest tax grab you've ever seen in, in the
0: country. That again is Premier Doug Ford talking about the carbon tax, which is ongoing. And I take you back to court, except for I worry that I will put you to sleep. So I want to move on to Paris now, and uh, obviously, you, you know so much about this now, and I was just really struck yesterday, uh, as this was unfolding live in front of our eyes, I was sort of struck with the parallels of nine eleven. It, I don't think I uh, there has been a worldwide event similar in terms of the world glued to a screen and the feeling of dread, a, a pit in the stomach. Obviously, there are very different things because in 9-11 we were wondering who possibly could do this and wondering what the ramifications for the world order would be coming out of it. And obviously, you know, we, we're still grappling with the aftermath of all of that. This is obviously very different. But at the same, there was this sort of similarity, wasn't there, in the ex, in the experience. And what I also found really fascinating was this need, this compulsion that everyone seemed to have to post photos of themselves at Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre. Notre Dame I'm going to screw it up all day but w- wasn't that interesting like I and I'm not I'm not being critical I'm just I'm just observing like what was it what is it about humanity what is it that uh, that now you know we have to go and run and find photos I by later in the evening I actually on social media I was seeing people posting things well like oh, listen I went and found this photo I took it before social media and I you know it's actually a photo and I'm like well why what is why do you need to share that? And I guess it's this commonality, this commonality of experience, especially when you start dealing with a building like that. And here's some news that we're just getting now. France's culture minister says the Crown of Thorns Catholic relic, the Tunic of Saint Louis, uh, and other priceless works were saved from the fire that destroyed the roof and spire of the cathedral. Now, those artworks have been moved to the Louvre where they will be dehumidified, protected, and eventually restored. Now, the interior minister is also saying there are still risks that may endanger the structure of the cathedral. Uh, the minister saying on Tuesday after a brief visit inside that there is a permanent surveillance because the entire structure could still move. And he's going to have to wait another 48 hours to be able to figure out whether you can actually safely enter the cathedral and then try and get out any of the works that are still in there. Some of them are just simply too big to actually be moved. Let's get a little perspective on on what all of this means in terms of art. And for that, Maria Sullivan is the head of conservation at the AGO and joins me on the line. Maria, thank you so much for joining me.
2: My pleasure. Nice to be here today.
0: Let's just begin with you know the commonality of experience, what I was just talking about. I, I'm wondering what went through your mind as you were watching that live feed yesterday.
2: Well, I think it's really heartbreaking to to watch something like that. Certainly, um, Notre Dame is such an important part of our world culture and uh, such an important historic site. Um, It's it's heartbreaking to see something like that happen. It's a place that's awe-inspiring if you've ever been to it. And uh, even if you haven't, I think it still inspires the imagination.
0: When we talk about the conservation and the dehumidification and all the rest of those things, let's just, you know, take it to your expertise level here. What is going to be required to be able to deal with some of these artworks that were priceless and were inside the cathedral at the time of the fire?
2: Right. Well, you know, I was pleased to hear that they were able to remove um, a lot of the artworks in the early stages of the fire, and that they've been able to move others since. So that is, um, that's that's really a great sign. Uh, many of the paintings have been moved to the Louvre. Um, certainly uh, fire um, has heat, it has smoke that can damage works of art, but then you also have the secondary effects. So water that firefighters use to put out the fire can cause damage to different materials um, falling debris from the roof um, falling in can also damage things. So there are a number of different types of damage that might be expected in something like this and that would just need to be addressed in different ways
0: Thanks. Right, right now, from around the world, governments from around the world are offering their own experts to come. I, I read that the Czech Republic, of course, yeah, if you've been to Prague, they have a medieval castle there as well. That 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 government is saying, listen, we will give you any restoration or experts that we have. Greece has done the same. I I just wonder, from from a, a restoration uh, perspective, not knowing obviously precisely what kind of damage these pieces of artwork have, but what kind of hill do we have to climb to be able to get these restored and back?
2: Well, I think conservation is a very um, uh, slow and precise um, uh, field. So these works will require a lot of attention. It will take a very long time and uh, and will involve a lot of experts. So um, France has, has many excellent conservators who will, I'm sure, be very involved in, in all of this.
0: Maria Sullivan is head of conservation at the Art Gallery of Ontario. If you have not been to the Art Gallery of Ontario recently, I recommend it. Being up in that, in that hall, that new redesign, and just walking up the stairwell. When you walk up that, that cool stair, Maria, you just think to yourself, I, I get to work here.
2: I love it. I love it. And I feel really um, honored to be able to work here.
0: It's a, it's a beautiful building. Thank you for being on the program.
2: My pleasure.
0: Thank you. It is fourteen minutes after twelve. You know, we introduced all the guests that we had on the program. Uh, I forgot to introduce one of our our special guests, um, uh, Austin Matthews. How do you, how do you feel when you listen to the Alan Crowder radio program?
2: I think I've said this before. It feels like an
0: earthquake under you. Well, that's nice. I appreciate that.
2: I feel the earth.
0: I want to get right to Sean O'Shea, a colleague and an amazing journalist. Uh, And uh, he is uh, with us here. Uh, uh, Sean, with an incredible story last night about a dog that was denied. A dog denied the ability to get on a flight, even though the dog had flown one direction fine. On on the way back, not so much. Sean, give me a sense of what this story is
3: about. Good afternoon, Alan. Well, this isn't just a dog, Alan. This is a Shih Tzu. (laughs) An eight-and-a-half-pound Shih Tzu. Named Whiskey. Whiskey the Shih Tzu, exactly. (laughs) You just like saying that. not many. There's not many times you can say it legally on the radio, right? (laughs) This is one. Very nice. So a Toronto woman and her husband and family decide that they're going to go to Quebec City, and they fly on WestJet. No problem going that way, and taking their eight-and-a-half-pound dog is not a problem either. Bear in mind, people that take their dogs on board have to pay for them, and they have to follow a certain set of criteria. The problem happened when they wanted to fly home on Air Canada. They had paid. The dog had paid the $50 per person or per animal coming back. And then a gate agent at Quebec City Airport said, sorry, ma'am, the dog can't fly, you can't fly, your husband can't fly, because even though the dog was under the weight limit, the agent claimed that the dog wasn't sufficiently able to move around the pet container um, uh, be able to stand up and turn around the way that he should have been able to, according to the agent, and so denied. They had to rent a car and drive home from Quebec City.
0: Uh, Sean, uh, who is the, the the name of the woman in, in question in the story was? Christina. Christina. Here's Christina talking about basically summing up her experience.
1: I am, like, afraid now. I don't know if I would fly again. I, I would probably maybe think twice about it, but there should be one uniform policy that everyone... You know this is the policy, this is how big like, the dog needs to be,
0: and we're gonna get back to Sean in just a second, but I want to put the call out uh, for calls again eight seven zero sixty four hundred that's four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred and star six forty on your cell. The larger question about you know flying with animals and Sean, you make the point here that you know airlines some not all but airlines they charge a lot of money for this.
3: It's fifty dollars each way in Canada on air Canada um. Alan to to fly with the dog and that's not much space so the dog has to be able to occupy the space in front of your feet uh, so the dogs have to be under 22 pounds including the weight of the container there are rules about the size of the dog and the weight and they do pay and this woman Christina is very familiar with the travel industry shall we say she's flown many many times to Las Vegas and elsewhere and had never had a problem until this happened with Air Canada and she talked about there being a uniform policy. well, there is. They specify the dimensions of the carrier, the weight uh, that's a maximum. she'd fallen followed all of these rules, but the agent still decided that this was not going to happen, and they had to drive home.
1: no dogs allowed
0: I guess the question the larger question is you know how much of a problem is this you, as a consumer reporter are, are you hearing that this arbitrary sort of decision, not only for dogs, because I think this is this is a concern here in, in the airline industry, is that there seems to be so much leeway, you know, right at the front desk. Well, that's carry-on luggage. Well, that's not carry-on, or whatever. It just seems to they make it up as they go. It,
3: it, there's frustration, and when I did the story yesterday, Alan, I saw on Twitter that there are, a, and I'm sure you'll hear from a lot of these people who think it's, it's wrong that dogs and cats are allowed in the cabin on flights. Many people thought, good on Air Canada for denying this dog passage. But the reality is, from a business point of view, they've decided that they will allow it under these circumstances and that they will charge for it because there are a lot of people who do want to travel with their dogs and cats. So people do, I think, who want to travel, be certain that they're going to be able to get there. Now imagine you're not in Quebec City flying back to Toronto, but you're in Las Vegas or you're someplace else, and now you can't go and the animal can't go. Now what do you do? So the idea of there being some rules that are actually properly adhered to, but with less discretion, that's important to people who do travel with their animals.
0: Sean O'Shea is Global's consumer reporter. And Sean, you know, people have great stories out there. They have complaints.
3: How do they get a hold of you? Well, thanks for the for the plug, Alan. Um, uh, you can uh, just go sos at globalnews.ca or just Google Consumer SOS and I'll pop up And so will this story Which is online right now At globalnews.ca Slash Toronto
0: If you want Someone to chase A crooked contractor Down the road Sean O'Shea Is your man (laughs) Am I right Now Sean Would you say You are a dog person Or a cat person
3: Definitely And I don't want To offend anybody Definitely would be A dog person But my wife and I Live in a condo No dogs allowed We don't have a dog But I do love animals Come on Alan Don't you
4: God I hate This freaking cat
0: With the exception of certain animals, that is true. John O'Shea, thank you so much for being with us. I'm going to put the call out one more more time. Just going to put the shout out for calls one more time. Do you think that, you know, have you had this happen where you get on the airplane and there's Fluffy sitting right beside you and you're like, what in the why? This doesn't make sense. I should not have to deal with this. Or conversely, if you're one of those, uh, you know, feline lovers or you like the dog or you think to yourself, I, I should be able to bring the snake on the plane. What, what could be the possibly the worst thing that would ever happen? 416 870 star 640 on your cell. Rebecca is taking the calls. We'll see if we can get a couple on before we do that. Quickly to rip and read. We're going to go rip and read here. This is where I just take news from the wire services and I just I read them cold. Uh, this from Rome. A zombie movie actor is accused of beating two women and forcing one of them to taste his blood. The Rome News Tribune reported Saturday that a 30-year-old has been charged with false imprisonment and aggravated assault. He apparently trapped a woman inside his home. Uh, he's accused of hurting and choking another woman in January, choking and biting her, forcing his cut hand into her mouth. That is, that is gross. C- Georgetown, Kentucky. Now, a substitute teacher in Kentucky has been jailed for allegedly endangering middle school students by teaching while drunk. Reports now that a 32-year-old was arrested Monday on charges of public intoxication while endangering the welfare of a minor. The sheriff's deputy says... Uh, the teacher had four shots of vodka while teaching a class at Royal Springs Middle School in Georgetown. Uh, they say they smelled of alcohol. Well, vodka is not supposed to smell. That's, that's my go. Never mind. Uh, she was unsteady on her feet, yelled and cursed at the children, had a blood alcohol content at .3. This is, I. I wish I had that teacher. Let's go to Westport, Connecticut. Where, oh, we have some calls. We'll get, okay, Westport, Connecticut, we'll do this real quick. Police have captured a man they say have been, has been leaving decapitated chickens outside a Connecticut home. Westport police say a resident called around 1130 to say someone had just dropped a bag containing two headless chickens and a headless pigeon on his property, then ran towards a railroad station. Police say the chickens have been left at the home on apparent random occasions over the past year. No reason known.
3: What do you say to that? I'd say that? What do you say to that? I say,
0: I say that is weird and creepy.
1: Everything is made of carbon. Everything is going up.
0: Thank you Premier Tom is in Brampton. Tom, do you travel with pets? Do you like the idea of go- are you By the way, are you driving safely or you're you are yes, is that? I'm driving. I'm driving
4: safely.
0: Hands-free, please Tom. Come on. Safety yeah, first. I'm hands-free. Everything's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> That's, well, that's nice uh, Okay, what do you feel about traveling with pets on airplanes?
4: i rather travel with a pet Than travel with a Chinese your lady That I did travel with That was clipping her toenails on the plane And she washed her socks in the jaw Oh, that's gross
0: That is, that is just That is gross Okay, so you're saying you got no problem with, with Fido It's just the nail clipper that you don't want
4: she had a bag full of medication. She yep. kept getting the lady to offer her, get her hot water so she could take her bag full of medication. Yeah. She was clipping her toenails. She, she washed her socks, hung them on the back of the seat, and constantly up and down. She never stood still. Water all the, the way to Vegas.
0: Uh, all right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Corey is uh, in Toronto. Corey, animals, yes or no on the airplanes? I, I see. Yes. But
1: yes. I, I just, I just want to know: Did they actually get their money back from Air Canada?
0: Uh, we did, that's a great question. Uh, we didn't get to that part of the story, uh, but they did get. So, yeah, they got some money back for their flight, but one of the problems is they. I don't think they were reimbursed for having to drive back from uh, Quebec City, so they had to rent a car. They, you know, all the time, all those auxiliary uh, or extra expenses. Pardon me, they did not get back. So I mean, that's that's a question for Air Canada, isn't it? yeah it sure is all right thank you appreciate you being with us wow we have had a fantastic half hour is it it has been all kinds of fun uh Kawhi, h- how how you felt i'm a fun guy well that's true he is uh and austin matthews how have you felt about the last half hour
2: i think i said this before feels like an earthquake under you
0: yeah it's true In our next segment, we're going to talk about something that uh, if you have teenagers, if uh, you are concerned about their health, this is something that is going to be a top-of-mind thing for you, and that is vaping. Whoa, you smoke? It's an
3: e-cigarette. Care to vape?
0: Don't you want to be one of the cool kinderen? refreshing. The rise in usage by teenagers of vaping right across North America recently was described as an epidemic by the FDA commissioner in the United States. And administrators both there and here are grappling with what to do about it. For example, in places like the Halton School Board District, they're they're trying to figure out in that area, how do they communicate to kids and how do they enforce to kids that this is not something they can do. They talk about, you know, if they seize all of these things, like garbage bags upon garbage bags of e-cigarettes are getting taken away from students on a regular basis. And the Canadian Student Tobacco, Alcohol, and Drug Survey for 2016-2017 found that the prevalence of students who had actually tried an e-cigarette was at 23%, and 10% of students had used an e-cigarette in the past 30 days. Now, In terms of e-cigarettes and what vaping is, just technically, it is the act of inhaling an aerosol produced by an electronic device. The devices are obviously small, they're handheld, and they don't require any burning. The vapor is generally flavored. It can, but does not necessarily contain nicotine. And some, including Health Canada, have argued that vaping does reduce harm because it's an alternative to smoking, which is much more dangerous. However, Health Canada also states that less harmful does not mean harmless. It increases exposure to harmful chemicals and can actually act as a gateway to nicotine addiction, and long-term health consequences are simply unknown at this point. My next guest is a professor in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. He is also the chair of the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada, and I'm just going to guess there's a lot of jokes in the office about your name. I'm, I'm happy to introduce Andrew Pipe.
4: Well, good morning. Yes, I, I've heard one or two.
0: So you, your last name is Pipe, and you're, you're arguing against smoking. That is, that's, what's the best joke you've heard about that? Well, I don't think any of them have been particularly good, but an unusual combination. <laughs> this is when you have a name like this. This is just like a cross you have to bear your whole life. Exactly, exactly. Let's, let's move into vaping it. And how is it that we actually get the message out to people that just because it's less harmful doesn't mean it's not harmful?
4: Well, I would think that the education message is secondary to the regulation message. Uh, Nicotine is the, the most addictive drug in our community, and it requires minimal exposure to nicotine before you become addicted. And at that point, your brain structure, your brain function, your brain chemistry becomes organized so that you constantly seek nicotine. And the suggestion that vaping devices are, can be used to reduce the harm uh, from smoking is absolutely valid. Uh, and I, there's no question about that, as long as people use vaping devices only, But the unfortunate reality is that the vast majority of vapors, if I can use that term, use both. De- they use vaping devices and they continue to
0: smoke. Is, that the, so the, the, is there evidence of that amongst teenagers? Yeah. Because the evidence I've seen it, it suggests exactly the opposite, that they've well, taken this me, up, this vaporing, let, let, and they don't smoke let, anymore.
4: Let me continue my thought. The evidence is quite clear that the vast majority of smokers who use vaping devices do not stop smoking. They continue to use combustion products and they are in fact less likely to stop smoking. That doesn't negate the fact that those who use these products uniquely have a reduced harm if they were formerly smokers. The question with teenage vaping is that we are now seeing the use of these devices by individuals who were never smokers. And once they become addicted to nicotine, they will continue to search for nicotine and quite predictably, they will migrate to combustion products. And this is a fact that's not unknown to the tobacco industry, who have take great delight, frankly, in understanding that they've now got products which can ensnare and addict a new generation of, smoke, of, of, of uh, smokers because these individuals will begin to look for nicotine in a variety of places. And those places are combustion products like cigarettes and cigars, et cetera, and and vaping devices. These devices also deliver far more nicotine than a conventional cigarette. They're outside of the implantable insulin pump. They're the most sophisticated drug delivery device in our community. And we're seeing that right before our eyes as large numbers of teenagers are using these devices in the classroom, in the, in the dressing rooms, in the bathrooms, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and so we have a problem on our hands. And unfortunately, it's a, pro- a, pardon me, a, a problem that we should have anticipated.
0: I want to move to advertising because I think in, in some ways this is the thing that perplexes me the most. We say as a society that you cannot advertise cigarettes on television or on the radio. You have to put them behind an ugly metal counter or, or conceal them behind the counter, rather. And then at the same time, out front at the gas station is a giant ad for a vape product. How is that possible? Does that make sense to you?
4: It makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever, and I couldn't have expressed the frustration that the health community is experiencing um, more adroitly than you have just done. Uh, It it is totally ridiculous. We've got to remind ourselves that tobacco products, nicotine, kill 47,000 Canadians unnecessarily every year. Smokers lose 10 years of life expectancy. And it's always astonished me that we have allowed, with virtually little regulation apart from the restrictions on advertising and marketing, the tobacco industry to have its way with our youth, addict large numbers of people, and then you and I as taxpayers pay an enormous cost in terms of treating the diseases and the other health problems that that uh, that tobacco users experience. Uh, it just makes no sense whatsoever, and, and you, I couldn't have put it any better than than did you.
0: Andrew Pipe is professor in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. He is also the chair of the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada, and there is no joke about his last name that he has not already heard. Thank you, Professor.
4: It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your interest in this topic.
0: If you're a certain age, you remember when this was a hit if you are not of that vintage you have heard it forever on classic rock radio it's it's a staple and of course you were listening there to the jay giles band and john warren giles jr better known as jay giles the guitarist of the jay giles band was found dead in his home in massachusetts on today he's 71 rolling stone is now confirming the death a preliminary investigation indicating that he had died of natural causes. You know, the Jay Giles Band released a slew of albums during the 70s and early 80s. Uh, Peter Wolf, remember him? Peter Wolf. Well, of course, he's still he was the lead singer. Jay Giles was actually the guitarist, so he wasn't the singer. Peter Wolf was the singer. And then you had Centerfold, Love Stinks, and then Jay Giles went on to uh, a bit of a solo career as well. In 1980, the J. Giles band released uh, Love Stinks, that is their first platinum-selling record. The following year, they notched a number one with their 12th album, Freeze Frame. That was when that band was big. So some sad news from the world of entertainment. We want to move back to something that I began the program with, and that is the availability by... Premier Doug Ford, this is how this works. Just giving you an ex- explanation here. When they say availability, this is a fancy way of saying it's an opportunity for reporters to ask questions. When you cover provincial politics or federal politics, for that matter, in this country, what, what happens is they give out sort of a, a you know, a... Itinerary and they say, Well, tomorrow the premier is going to be here and there will be a media availability, which means at the end of whenever he's saying whatever he's saying, you get to ask him questions. Then the next day they'll say, Well, he's going to be so and so, and it's only a photo opportunity, which means no questions are allowed. So today was a media opportunity, uh, an opportunity to ask really any question. And what tends to happen here is that, you know, the premier or whatever politician talks about one thing, and then right away, all the questions are about something completely different. And uh, uh, that was the case today. And I want to start with a question from Alison Jones, who is the Queen's Park uh, Press Gallery president, and also the Queen's Park correspondent for Canadian Press, who wanted to ask the premier about these whole sticker issue you've heard this where the government says now they're going to mandate they're going to require all gas stations in the province to put these stickers on that will indicate well the price of gas is up because of our friend justin trudeau and his federal carbon tax and now we found out as well that buried in the budget is a measure that would impose steep steep fines ten thousand dollars a day on a gas station any gas station that would not put the sticker on. So Alison Jones asked this question of the premier.
4: As a businessman yourself, yeah. how would you react if the government said you have to display this piece of government messaging or pay $10,000 a day?
1: Right. And that, that happens, that happens right now. You slap a sticker on there to inform the public. And I, the, the local gas stations that I go to and I talk to, they're quite happy
0: to uh, fight against this. The premier is traveling to a lot of gas stations. Um, I, here's the thing: I'm sure he does go to gas stations, but folks, uh, when you're the premier, you don't drive anymore. You, that is, and it's not a choice that you have. Kathleen Wynne, when she was premier, she was often asked, well, you know? What's the thing that you miss most about private life?" She said, "Driving. They don't let me drive anymore." So uh, the premier is not driving, and I am going to put dollars to donuts that he's not standing at the pump. In minus 20 weather, you know, filling up the big black SUV that's being driven by the OPP. (laughs) All right, thank you, Premier. I want to move on to something else that the Premier talked about, and that is the possibility of a teacher's strike. You may know this, that the uh, contract for Ontario teachers expires at the end of August, right before the new school year, and it seems that the Ford government and the major teachers unions seem to be on a collision course. Here's the premier talking about what it is he might do to make sure kids stay in class. We're going to do
1: everything in our power to make sure this doesn't happen. And isn't it amazing how how the previous government and and the union uh, sets a date of August 31st right before the kids go back to school? I can tell you that's never gonna happen again under our watch after we get through this.
3: So it's it's not off the table, back to work legislation. It's not off the table.
1: No, I I wanna work with the teachers. I wanna work with the unions. Yeah, a lot of teachers I talk to and I take endless calls from teachers and I talk to them, they're very reasonable. They don't agree with uh, the teachers. I mean, sorry, they don't agree with the unions. I apologize. Uh, one, one teacher said the other day that the most I ever get off my
0: union is a slice of pizza. They do nothing for me. Uh, listen, don't talk down the pizza. Don't talk down the pizza, Premier. I mean, you know, I, I like a good piece of wheel myself. I, I don't even know if my union's given me a piece of pizza. I am, for full disclosure, a member of a union. I am a member of Unifor, uh, and I don't have a choice about that. And someday— I will I will wax poetic, but I will not talk about it today.
1: Promises made, promises kept.
0: See? But the the point here I think is interesting, which is what the Premier was saying today is look, you look back. Ray, Harris, Eves, McGuinty, Wynn, All of them faced labor unrest from teachers, possibly not Eve's, he wasn't in long enough, but all of them faced some kind of either work stoppage, withdrawal of service, protests on the lawn, you name it. And so is it true that there is a disconnect between the teachers of the province, who are only getting slices of pizza, apparently, and their unions? Are the unions actually speaking for the rank and file? Well, if you were to count the people that showed up outside of Queen's Park recently at that teacher's rally, you'd say, looks to me like the teachers are on side with the unions. But then on the other side, if the union's saying, hey, everybody, we got a busload going to the Queen's Park to protest. If you're interested in a promotion, guess who else is in the union? The people who decide if you get promotions. So that's, I mean, that's tough. I mean, th- th- to some extent that is not true because, you know, the, the hiring and, and the decision making is above that, ab- above that on the union scale. But I, I think that's a, that is a good point by the premier. There has been no administration that hasn't faced some kind of retribution and anger from teachers. Do you remember Bill 150? Remember when Dalton McGinty suddenly, like he was the, the best friend the teachers ever had for you know, for six or seven years, and then next thing you know, they're burning him in effigy, and he's just ab—he's you know—they're taking him to court because they're taking away our rights to bargain. And then you have Kathleen Wynne come in, and she sort of rights the ship, and you know, you know, gives us it smooths things over with a couple of extra dollars for the unions to make things better. And then yeah, I don't—I don't remember the teachers being out there, you know, campaigning for and voting on mass for Kathleen Wynn last June. I don't remember that. And now we have Doug Ford, and guess what? The union's not happy. So I think there's a point there, and I think uh, if you're a parent, you have good reason to be concerned about what is coming our way this fall when those contracts expire. And you heard the premier saying, well, I'm not going to say whether or not I'm going to use the um, back-to-work legislation, but I, you know what? I pretty much think that that is a done deal. Am I right, premier?
1: My friend. A new day has dawned in Ontario! A day of opportunity!
0: A day of prosperity! And a day of growth! Premier, it's... A new afternoon has now dawned in Ontario. Thank you so much for joining us on the Alan Carter Radio Program. Of course, tonight, big sports night. All us Raptors fans really hoping that our guy... Our guy can come through. Kawhi, can you do it? I'm a fun guy. That's good, Kawhi. I appreciate that. Uh, and what a great night watching hockey last night. That was that was some good times. Am I right? Good to see Austin Matthews scoring that goal. And and Austin, when you listen to the Alan Carter radio program, what does it make you feel?
2: I think I've said this before. It just feels like an earthquake under you.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sure does. It sure an earthquake of information. From here, I head on up to the TV studio where they get out the trowel and they slap on the makeup, and just they cake the stuff on. Yeah, buddy. And then I, I, I get all gussied up, and at 5.30 they turn on the red light, and I smile and I read the words on the box. That's what uh, being an anchorman is. Oh, it has been a good time. We will see you again tomorrow on the mighty Alan Carter radio program.
4: God, I hate this freaking cap.